2: Hello, welcome back. This is the Tom Bernard Show, sitting in for Tom Bernard. I'm Dave Schrader of Darkness Radio. Tom is traveling today, making his way back to the nastiness that is the weather of Minnesota. So I wake up this morning, decent skies that have slowly turned dark black and thunderstorms begin clapping over the skies of southern Minnesota. Rain starts pelting, turning into ice, and now we're being told that we have a weather, winter, winter advisory for the remainder of the weekend that may drop another eight to ten inches of that white, damned snow on our state. So we got that going for us. It is a perfect Friday, the 13th, with creepy thunderstorms and strange bizarre weather patterns and mike molina and dave schrader sitting in at the helm and we've got a cool show lined up for you today i'm very excited i've got some of uh, my guests that are going to join us we're going to talk about uh, scary movies in the second hour uh, the top 13 horror movies you should watch on friday the 13th from dread central we'll be talking with our guests from dread central later on and in the third hour we're going to take a look at some fascinating facts and the history a Friday the 13th, with Dr. Knowledge himself, Charles Bloom, He'll be joining us on the show. But right now, joining me at the start of the show... Good friend of our show, Darkness Radio, and he's been on Tom's show quite a few times. Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, is with us to talk about superstitions and a topic that we're covering on our show today for the Friday the 13th edition of The Ghost of Flight 401. Mark is also the author of two award-winning books, Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity. Mark, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Happy Friday the Thirteenth.
2: It's good to have you here. Thanks a lot for joining in. I've, you know, I've never been one that was uh, normally superstitious. I, I might have some OCD patterns in my life, but superstition has never been a part of that. Why? Why are people so prone to just bizarre superstitions? Whether it's walking under ladders, having your path crossed by a black cat, opening an umbrella inside the house. Why do people fall for these uh, these kind of fallacies of what brings about bad luck to you?
3: I think it's it's human nature. We're always looking for a cause, a causality for something bad that happens to us. And there are things that people don't understand, and a lack of understanding leads to the unknown which people tend to fear. Um, you know, black cats. For for centuries, have been looked at as as a negative thing, and that actually derives from a a Celtic um, belief that the cat Sith, which was a spirit, could assume the form of a cat. And then, um, when Christianity began to spread into the the British Isles, anything from the quote unquote old religion was looked at as evil, and therefore the cat Sith was evil, and anyone who practiced nature. Uh, Worship was therefore a witch and a a cat. Then the black cat became one of their familiars. And so it's just sort of a whole train of unknowns and fears and people looking for a reason to, why is my life horrible? Gee, it's because I dropped this mirror (laughs) and I've had bad luck for the last seven years.
2: Well, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the the case that we cover in depth in a full, uh, I think almost an hour and 20-minute show today on Darkness Radio, uh, which you can find at darknessradio.com. We had Mark on talking about the ghost of Flight 401, and during that talk, you and I kind of um, came to this one point where we were discussing a a very strange aspect of that story, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, but to kind of catch our, our listeners up to speed... The ghost of Flight 401, Mark. What can you tell us about this story? How did this happen?
3: Long story short, um, Flight 401 was an Eastern Airlines flight that was uh, traveling from JFK in New York to Miami. And it was December 29th, uh, 1972, and it was probably around 10, 1030 at night. And there was a whole string of, of pilot errors. Um, the landing gear did not go down, or at least so the pilot and co-pilot thought, because the indicator lights weren't working. And so the flight engineer was trying to fix the indicator lights, couldn't do it. So he went down to check to see if the gear went down. There was no way they could determine that the gear had gone down. And so the plane was put into um, a circling pattern on autopilot. And while the captain, first officer, and the engineer were trying to figure out whether or not the uh, the, uh, the landing gear had come down, apparently the pilot inadvertently, his knee knocked the control for the autopilot switching it off. And then the plane did a rapid descent, and because they were flying over the Florida Everglades and it was a dark night and they had no point of reference, by the time they realized that they were in um, a severe declination, it was too late. And so the plane crashed. Um, over 90 people were killed, uh, and uh, although there were several survivors. Now, what makes the Soma cop is that, according to urban legend, parts from this plane, which was one of the newest and best airliners in the world, it was a Tri Star, it was made by Lockheed Martin um, L 1011. And supposedly, a number of the parts were repurposed and used on other Uh, jets in the in the eastern airlines fleet and as early as the first few months of 1973 stories began to circulate through eastern airlines of people seeing what appeared to be a spirit of the captain bob loft and the flight engineer don repo on on various flights and some people were absolutely terrified, some were, were mystified. Um, supposedly one of them was an Eastern Airlines vice president. And one of the stories you and I were laughing about, um, the, on, on one flight to Mexico City, one of the flight attendants who was preparing meals, and this was back in the days when airlines, you know, number one, treated you nicely, <laughs> and number two, fed you. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, that's changed. Hey, you can um, still
2: get a good meal. It just cost you $25 for two bags of peanuts and a, and a uh, Coca-Cola.
3: I, I know, I know. It's, it's it's unbelievable. So she opens up the oven because she's heating up some, uh, back then, their dinners that didn't have microwaves, I guess. And she opened up the oven, and she sees a face looking back at her. And she, oh my God! So she gets another flight attendant and the flight engineer, who recognized the man staring out of the oven as Don Repo, who was the flight engineer on the ill-fated flight 401. So naturally, they're alarmed. Even more so when the, this apparition says, "Watch out for fire on this on this flight on this plane." So plane lands in Mexico City, offload the passengers, and they're getting ready to take the plane back to New York. And just right about takeoff, one of the engines malfunctions, so they ground it, and the engine bursts into flames. So, like, like we said on Darkness Radio, a story like that spread like wildfire. So, that was the whole mystery. Over 20 sightings, supposedly, were identified as either Don Repo or Captain Bob Loft um, appearing on the planes. In some instances, Dave, it's fascinating because the spirits seem to vocalize things to people. Uh, Apparently, Bob Loft said to a flight crew that we will never allow another L-1011 to crash. And then there were other sightings by an Eastern Airlines VP and by um, this one woman sitting on the plane of an officer, um, which appeared to be Bob Loft sitting next to her, looking sick, ashen, ill, and then just vanishing. So, so we have um, all types of stories, and this is certainly the the great juicy uh, Friday the Thirteenth Halloween type right. of uh, a show. And
2: um, you know what I, I found fascinating about the story with the face that appeared in the in the oven was the fact that. Most of the people that were having these eyewitness accounts of the ghosts did not know who was appearing to them. They had no clue that parts of their plane had been repurposed from the down flight of flight 401. And when she opens the the oven, first of all, you open an oven and you see a head in there trying to talk to you. That's enough to cause you alarm, but that she went and she brought others and that they were able to see this exact same apparition communicating with them and... Somebody was able to recognize it from that. That's what made that part of the story so interesting to me. And I got to tell you, I, I remember this book sitting on my mom's coffee table with the, the airplane and then that kind of ghostly visage of the captain's face kind of superimposed behind it. And I saw the made-for-TV movie, which you can find on YouTube, folks, if you're interested. The entire movie does exist. It was a made-for-TV movie starring Ernest Borgnine. And I watched that movie with my parents and I got to tell you, I was terrified from that age on until probably around the age of 16 of flying. Not because I was afraid of crashing, but merely for the fact that I was afraid I was going to turn to a window and see this goofy pilot staring back at me. And that freaked me out more than any other story regarding air, airlines or ghosts at that time. Amityville horror, nothing. You put me in a small confined place like a plane where there are ghosts, Mark, that w- that was the end of my my whole understanding i wanted nothing to do with that
3: not that it psychologically did anything to you so now you're one of the premier um, radio <laughs> talk show hosts in the paranormal world in the world um, but so look at it this way maybe you got a creepy lemon but boy it turned into some sweet juicy lemonade
2: and it sure did when the part that i was talking about when you and i started discussing on the show that i found intriguing is i guess it's the way that you perceive what is bad luck now to begin with, the idea of taking parts from a plane that crashed and there were lives lost, almost 100 lives lost, the idea that you're repurposing those parts into other planes, first of all, I think that would give a really bad perception. People, if they knew about that at the time, might have stayed away from Eastern Airlines and, and avoided flying on those flights because the ghosts seemed only to make themselves known to people on flights that were doomed to have some kind of issue some kind of failure so the question begins were these planes now jinxed with these cursed items from a crashed plane and so, i I pose that question to you and why don't you go ahead and answer that here and then we'll kind of go into your aspect of of the story as well
3: sure sure and it's kind of like going to a surgeon that as soon as you walk into his office say, hey I've been sued for malpractice not once not twice but three times okay <laughs> So you know, so it's going to have this stigma, this, uh, the, this stigma, this aura of unreliability. Now, from a paranormal perspective, um, you and I um, um, have been on um, several paranormal and in, in, uh, ghost investigations. Matter retains vibration and energy. So, if we look at it as okay, why are only the planes with repurposed parts having sightings of apparitions? because it's like people that will walk into a house where there's been a murder, and they'll see a spirit that's shrieking or, you know, somebody running by. And it may not be a sentient being. It could be the energetic echo because there's different schools of thought on hauntings. And one of them is that matter retains vibration. So it's not actually a sentient spirit, but what you're doing is you're picking up on the vibration of the event that happened there. Okay? And and so that may be an explanation for why a number of people were seeing these spirits. But with um, um, the L-1011s using repurposed parts from Flight 401, it gets a little bit more complex because these were just not spirits standing there and staring at people. In some instances, they were, but on at least four different occasions, and the most famous one being the head in the oven saying, watch out for fire. And then the plane ends up catching fire later on. Um, this would indicate that these were sentient beings who were intervening to try to help people. So you can look at it as, as a negative, spooky, haunted thing, or you can simply look at it as the vibration of our material world is intersecting with another vibration of the other side. And this is the type of things that I discuss in my, in my lecture series that I'm doing throughout the country this year, and in my books, uh, Never Letting Go, and more so in Evidence of Eternity. Think of um, we, you and I, Dave, we live in AM radio, the other side's FM radio, and occasionally the frequencies overlap. And so that may be what's happening with these repurposed parts is vibrationally they're causing an overlap between those of us living in the material world and the folks that reside in the, the realm that you and I might refer to as the other side.
2: We're coming up against the top of the uh, break here. Would you be willing to stay for one more segment with me and we can talk some more weird, spooky stuff?
3: That'd be my pleasure.
2: Fantastic. We'll bring a little bit of the uh, Freaky Friday to the Tom Bernard Show. I'm your host, Dave Schrader. Remember, if you want to hear the full story of the Ghost of Flight 401, go check out darknessradio.com today. You can find it there, or you can download our free app, Darkness Radio, off of the Google Play Store. Find also the show on uh, iTunes under Beyond the Darkness, and you'll be able to hear the entire thing, including our brand new Theater of the Mind story, which is two personal stories of my own where something, some kind of energy seemed to intercede in my life and put me onto two different paths. I share that uh, today and in a really fun little theater of the mind so you can check that out for yourself. We've got more with Mark Anthony. Check out his website, Evidence of Eternity. We'll be back. I'm Dave Schrader and this is the Tom Bernard Show.
0: I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender.
4: Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> real nice. Chuck Nabla. <laughs> Chuck <laughs> Nabla.
0: Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me. And it's not just me.
2: big old jet airliner you're tuned into the Tom Bernard show I'm Dave Schrader sitting in for Tom today my guest in this first half of the show is Mark Anthony Mike are you uh, superstitious at all uh a little bit yeah. not much but yeah does, a does bit. it center around sports uh yeah and i guess religion as well okay. yeah sports all right like what can you do you, do you have something you'd be willing to share or is that something a little too personal for you uh i guess uh, see, sports-wise, I'm goofy when it comes to that. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've never really bought into superstitions. But I'll tell you what, you know what, if I'm wearing a, a football jersey and every time the t- I wear it, the team wins, I'm on a roll. And if I can't get to my jersey that day, I feel horrible if the team loses. and It takes us back to the, the horrific Vikings game where we took a knee with, what, 45 seconds yeah. left. Uh, we had all worn our, our jerseys. I would wear my Floyd Revaz jersey underneath my Chris Carter jersey because that's what brought the team luck. Obviously, it was all on my shoulders. But our group of guys had all had contended. The only thing we don't do, you don't wear purple underwear on oh. Vikings game day because then you're kind of pooping on the purple. So you don't you don't put on purple underwear. We get to the game, we're watching, and as the the uh, quarters winding down, one of the guys that was brought with one of our friends in the group goes, man, I can't believe this. We're all decked out in purple from head to toe, all the way down to my underwear. We all stopped and we go, what? And he goes, well, I'm even wearing purple underwear. And you would have thought literally that we just caught him lighting a puppy on fire because the yelling, screaming, and cursing that took you moron. Nobody wears purple underwear. And then we took the knee and the game was over and and that was it. So, uh, you know, it's funny, but we all literally were so pissed at this guy because he wore purple underwear on a Vikings game day. <laughs> and then I, I, afterwards, I felt so ridiculous regarding that. Uh, and it, But I guess that's just kind of, as you said, Mark, right, it's human nature. We want to feel that maybe in some way we have the ability to influence the world around us.
3: Uh, absolutely. See, it's it's you know, when people talk about magic and i'm I'm not you know saying that I believe in it, but magic is normal and natural for people to believe in because it gives a causality for something they can't explain, um, as opposed to the laws of physics, which include, you know, which, which you have to really study and make an effort to understand and 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 i believe that you're in in the same school of thought that i am there is an explanation for everything and it just may mean that that our level of technology has not um evolved to the point where we can understand everything it's like when people used to get sick there were oh it was a curse okay there was a curse if there was somebody who was um, um, deformed, like had a, a severe birth defect, um, let's say that they they had um, um, cerebral palsy, and let's say this was 300 years ago, um, there were superstitions that a pregnant woman must not walk, must not walk near them or cross their path, because then she may be cursed by that person, which we know now is absolute nonsense because cerebral ca- palsy is caused by um, a lack of oxygen during the birthing process. So while 300 years ago, that may have been the science, the norm, or the belief system of the day, and it seemed logical for, for you know, rational people to believe that, we now know that that's ridiculous.
2: I was actually reading an article uh, that was talking about all these strange superstitions regarding birth. And that if children were born with deformities, like uh, scaly skin, that the mother must have been scared during the pregnancy by a, a lizard or a snake, that whatever the mother during pregnancy was afraid of, and if she encountered that, it would somehow imprint. And they believed this, believe it or not, Mark, into the early 1900s, this was still part of that belief system. And in, in some cultures around the world, there's still beliefs like that, that that what your mother does during pregnancy, and I mean, obviously, we know, drugs, drinking, smoking will have an ill effect, but that the things that they watch and the things that they encounter can imprint themselves on you and, and perhaps change or reform the way that your body is uh, uh, created, which is kind of a, an eerie feeling to it uh, unto itself. And we've, you and I have talked about uh, topics like reincarnation. And isn't it fascinating in, in cases like that, Mark, when you start talking about the strange and the supernatural, that there are some people that will have these memories, these children will have these memories of a past life. Right. And when they're finally able to track it down, they find out, oh, you know what, um, this guy died when a rock hit him in the head and, and crushed his skull. And wouldn't you know it, the kid has a like purple birthmark on the back of his head. Or this guy was stabbed and the kid has a birthmark in the same spot where the stabbing took place. When you see things like that, evidence of eternity in that sense, what do you make of those kind of encounters? Is it just kind of coincidence or do you think that there is something to the idea of our bodies, our souls moving on and continuing this journey over and over again?
3: Well, I, I am a firm believer that we live a succession of lifetimes and that reincarnation is real, and that it's also based on the laws of physics. Um, biocentrism is is a new school of thought in medical science that we tend to think that we are our our body. And now we know, based on survival of consciousness studies and near-death experiences, and certainly the, the work that I do and, and others like me that are legitimate evidential mediums, that your consciousness survives your physical death. I believe that uh, we did a whole um, whole show on quantum consciousness and electromagnetic energy as the basis for what the soul is. I, I recall doing that show with you some time ago on Darkness Radio. So um, the, the, what happens, though, is when the soul separates from the body, it can then reattach to a new host. In other words, ergo reincarnation. So I'm giving you the, the abbreviated version of of um the scientific explanation if it were for reincarnation but um you know people always want to it's like okay dropping a mirror and it's seven years bad luck the falling in love with your image is always been looked at as a negative thing and that stems all the way back to the ancient greek myth of narcissus which is the, apparently the handsome young man who looked at his reflection in the mirror and fell in love with himself. henceforth, the term narcissism coming from that, but then during the the Roman era, um, that was a Greek myth, and the Romans of course adopted the, the Greek religion, mirrors suddenly became available. they were very expensive, okay it was a piece of glass with with um, with uh, some some metallic paint on it. And the Roman mirrors, a lot of them were silver and and, then gold, but then these glass-type mirrors started to emerge. And people began to wonder if the mirror was actually capturing your soul. And that's why you had to be very careful about breaking it, because if you did, then you were damaging your soul. Um, Also, there's a more practical aspect to that. Who could afford mirrors in ancient Rome? Rich people. What did rich people own in addition to mirrors? Slaves. So you would tell the slave, if you drop that mirror and it breaks, you are cursed. <laughs> so, so it became, uh, once again, religion always comes to the rescue, um, to foster fear, paranoia, and oppression. Um, if people would only actually practice what religions teach, the world would be a nice place. So so there's all these type of paranoias and superstitions that come up, and they tend to be explanations for negative things. If you break that mirror, you're destroying your soul, and you will have bad luck. Um, one of my favorites is walking under a ladder. Dave, do you ever walk under a ladder?
2: I'm never around ladders, but... Uh... <laughs>
3: <laughs> Let's to... say you're walking down the street in Minneapolis, <laughs> and there's, there's a ladder in a construction site. Do you walk under it, or do you walk around it?
2: I would walk around it just for fear that the guy on top might fall, and I'd be crushed below it.
3: And see, there's logical common sense, Dave. Um, that is actually where the belief that it was bad luck to walk under a ladder came from, because people walk under it, and the workmen, they may fall or drop something, or you get hit by a bucket of paint or some bricks. And then there was a, um, an outgrowth of that is that a ladder leaning against the wall formed a triangular pattern which was symbolic of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and ooh, Holy Ghost, and that if you walked through that, you were disrupting the Trinity. And it's, it's like, I remember when I was doing the research on that, I go, wow, now this is really fascinating. But what it was people who were, were putting the, you're violating the Trinity type thing, it was, they're trying to prohibit people from engaging in dangerous activities. In other words, don't walk under a ladder, chances are a brick's going to fall on your head. And then when you start putting the uh, a mystical, uh, religious connotation to it, it seems to sink in. It, it's like, um, and I'm probably pissing off at least a billion people by saying this, um, eating kosher and eating according to the Qur'an. And, and I'm not disparaging these religions because it makes a lot of sense. It, eating pork, mix, um, mixing dairy with other food, eating shellfish, not bleeding um, animals properly in an extremely hot pre-refrigeration environment where you're not using proper salt, a.k.a. kosher salt, you will get food poisoning and die. And so it is not only a matter of common sense, but when it is tied in with, if you do this, it is somehow spiritually negative for you to do that, then that resonates with people more than, here, read these health guidelines, as opposed to, if you do this, you will suffer the wrath of God. Because let's say in uh, 1000 B.C. in the Middle East, people didn't realize what trichinosis was or what salmonella was, they just knew that all of a sudden they got very sick, so therefore it must have been a curse.
2: We have about four minutes left together here, Mark, and I'm just curious. After all the years you've been doing this and, and communicating with the other side, are there ever moments where you're still shocked and, and frightened by the things that you encounter?
3: Never frightened. Um, I look at spirit communication as a gift from God, and yes, everybody, I do believe in God. I, don't, I, I believe in God as this beautiful energy that binds and, and connects and unifies everything uh, in existence, and uh, that an intelligence flows through this. I look at spirit communication as a gift from God because it proves to us, Dave, that consciousness survives physical death, our soul is an immortal living spirit, and we never lose a loved one because we're we're always energetically interconnected, and we'll see them again when it is our time to transition to the higher frequency known as the other side.
2: I know we've just got about two, three minutes left here, but you had also mentioned an interesting story talking about how we're all unified together under this one force. I never knew the story about George Lucas and and kind of what inspired his whole story. Why don't you wrap that up with this segment and uh, let the listeners know.
3: When George Lucas was 16 years old, he was in a car accident. He died. He was dead on arrival at the hospital, and then mysteriously he comes back to life, and he had a near-death experience. And... For people who, we, and we, sh- we should and could do a whole uh, show on NDEs, Dave, um, people have near-death experiences, one of the outgrowths of, of that is a sense of interconnectedness. In other words, how everyone and everything is connected through not only love but, uh, the, uh, but through energy. And we, now we know from quantum physics that everything is, on a subatomic level, electromagnetic energy, ergo the force the force that binds and connects all of us. So the next time you want to look at somebody who looks different than you or is different from you and look down on them, hey, guess what? You're energetically connected with that person, so how about spreading the light instead of wallowing in the negativity of judgment?
2: It's always great to catch up with you, Mark, and if people are interested in getting a telephone reading or an uh, in-person one-on-one reading with you, they can get all that information, plus keep up with your books, your media, and all the places that you're going to be by visiting evidenceofeternity.com. Is that right?
3: That's correct. Thanks, Thanks, Dave. Yes, same name as my book, evidenceofeternity.com.
2: So check it out for yourself, and if you follow Mark on Facebook, you can actually go see a slideshow regarding the Ghost of Flight 401, some of the actual photographs from the crash site and the story itself. So go check that out and educate yourself and yourself on that. Mark Anthony, always a pleasure. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. We've got more coming your way on this Freaky Friday. Again, in a little bit, we'll be talking about 13 of the top horror movies that you want to catch and, and watch on a Friday the 13th, especially a rainy, crummy Friday the 13th like we've got going on here in Minnesota. And then later on in the show, we're going to talk about other fascinating facts regarding Friday the 13th and just some really weird knowledge that our guest has uh, uh, combined with in in all of his book series to talk about with us and uh, we're going to share that today Tom Bernard is off he'll be back with you live with the family on Monday I'm sitting in for today with Mike Molina and join us in the live chat room you can find all the information at TomBernardShow.com TomBernardShow.com join us in the live chat room you can watch it on uh, YouTube you can also get the Tom Bernard um, podcast uh, tool at uh, all of the Google Play stores and iTunes stores, so go check it out. We'll be back with more right here on the Tom Bernard Show. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with
0: my realtor Chris Lindall. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey
7: Tom, the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home.
2: We're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader, along with Mike Molina. So you said you're kind of uh, a little bit on, this, on the uh, superstitious side, Mike.
8: Yeah. I mean, just thinking back to like, you know, you talk about sports. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I was a big baseball player. So, uh, you know, not walking on the chalk line when going on or off the field. That's one that sticks out, I guess, that I did or believed in.
2: Like I'd never heard about. that one before. Yeah. Uh, other than no that, wonder I wonder mean, I got injured so often in baseball. <laughs> I was just breaking baseball rules left and right. <laughs> I played uh, baseball for one year, Mike. Okay. I mean, you play with your buddies all the time, but I mean, mm-hmm. I played in a, in an actual league one time in my life. The same guy injured me three separate times. I was playing catcher mm-hmm. 190 degrees out that day. I'm sure it was July, mid July, right? Oh yeah. They call for a timeout. I flip my mask up to wipe my brow. And I turn to look into the stands and there's this really cute girl sitting in the stands and I'm kind of looking at her and out of the corner of my eye I see a glint and I turn my face and Blake Knight is swinging his bat backwards. <laughs> and he catches me in the nose and lifts me off the ground. Breaks my nose, right? Takes like three three kids to lay on me and my coach to put the nose back in. So then I'm, I'm gun shy as, as catcher. They end up putting me out in the outfield about two, three games later, right? Mm-hmm. I get down. Blake Knight is up hits one of those scorching grounders that never really touches the ground but goes at mock speeds, like two (laughs) inches above the ground. I know how to do this. You get down on one knee, you put the glove down, you're ready to grab that ball and throw it in, right? Yep. As I bend down for it, it hits a clump of grass and the ball's trajectory launches directly up into my testicles, (laughs) catches it right between my thigh and my cup, bang, and sends me dropping to the ground. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was speechless. I've dislocated my knees, my shoulder. I've been hit in the head. I've never experienced pain like having a grounder at 100 miles an hour strike me in the, the goodie sack. Then the final time we were doing it, I was the batter. Blake Knight was the pitcher, and he cracked me right in the side of the head. That was the end of my baseball career, Mike. Uh, maybe it's because I kept walking on chalk lines. Yeah. No, what, that, a, what other baseball stigmas are there for uh, superstitions that you're aware of?
8: Uh, Well, I mean, I think it may be down to like a player-by-player basis. I mean, you know, you talk about guys wearing like the same cup or same jocks, same socks. Yeah, and they Uh, won't wash
2: their socks between games. Yeah. Uh, You know, the rally cap. Um, Now that's what, when they take the hat, turn it inside out. Yeah, or they will wear
8: half of it on their head and the other half not. I mean, it really depends, I guess. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, You know, the the one weird thing I noticed, and I don't know if this is a superstition that's continued, but... When I moved to the Twin Cities, I'd grown up a Cubs fan, as you can tell by my hat. I'd grown up a Cubs fan. I'd gone to Wrigley Field. Now, let me ask you, Mike, if you're at the Twins game, mm-hmm. all right, and you're a Twins fan, right? Uh, yeah. After the Yankees. All right. Yeah. So you're okay. So you're a Yankees fan. You're at the Yankees game, right? Yep. And let's say the the Mets are up, and they hit the ball, follow ball into your lap. What do you do with that ball? Toss it back. Right. That's what we do in Chicago. If it's the if it's the opponent's ball, you throw it back out yeah. onto the field. Here in Minnesota, they keep every ball that goes astray.
8: I will say though, uh, I will make an exception because I've I've tossed it back before. But if there were a little kid around me, you know, who wants the ball?
2: Oh sure, th- I I've done that Not too. Me. It I, goes back on the field. That's okay. what belongs.
8: Because <laughs> then, I mean, I've had it. Like right. uh, I was at Yankee Stadium last year, and uh, it just so happened that a foul ball. It was during BP, but. Uh-huh. It came up, and there was this kid who wanted it. I mean, you know, could not have been older than six. And I was just like, okay, you know. He actually came up to me, too. So, you know, he's got his glove out and everything. And I'm like, I'm not going to toss
2: it back. But Plus, it was batting practice. My first Twins game, I caught a foul ball from the A's right into my bucket of popcorn. (laughs) Boom, hits me right in the bucket. And I didn't even know what was going on because I was yapping to my friends. The ball came up, bam, hit me right in the bucket, right in the bucket of popcorn. <laughs> I looked around, and I knew that it was the ball, so I picked it up. I throw it. Like half the audience turns to me, and they're like, what did you just do? No. Oh, I, it's I A's ball. It's not yeah. the Twins. Why do I want it, right? Yep. Now, I guess, again, if if you're up there and it's you know the opposing team and you've got a guy up there that's a slugger that's a world-renowned yeah. baseball player, maybe you keep their foul ball. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, if it's just some sluggo I could care less about.
8: And if it were a historic or monumental, you know, home run or hit or whatever the case may be. I mean, usually in those cases the right. player wants the ball and then somebody from the staff will – or the stadium will come and find you. Locate you. you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> There's mean, some big bucks that trade hands in those. Oh, yeah,
8: definitely. I mean, it was like uh, seven years ago, I think, uh, Derek Jeter hit his 3,000 hit and uh, it just so happened it was a home run, and some guy caught it, and he actually gave it back. He did not want any money, recognition, anything like that. So, but then you, you hear about people like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa when they were doing their thing. Um, people
2: would catch you know home runs. Well, there's the news, too. I guess McGuire's coming out saying, hey, I, even if I wasn't using enhancement yeah. performance drugs, I would have still got that 70 now, yeah. do you think there should be an asterisk? I mean, he, because what he was using at the time wasn't outlawed officially, right? Yeah, that's true. And,
8: I mean, he was not the only one. And it, it, it's uh, – I don't know. I go back and forth because I am a big
2: baseball fan. But, I mean, I guess it's just that was the era. And uh, But when yeah. it comes down to entertainment like that, do you just want to go watch a bunch of grounders and pop-up flies? I don't care what you're using. Knock the ball Mm -hmm. out of the – make it exciting to watch a game. That's become the problem for me with baseball. Unless I go to a live game, I can't watch baseball on TV. I will watch, like, the World Series. I'll watch the last inning of the last game because, to me, that's like basketball. All you need to do is watch the last two minutes of any basketball game, and that's really where it comes down to Mm -hmm. is that last two minutes of of how it's going to all parlay. Uh, Well, there's some bad news on Friday the 13th. SUV flipped on highway in a scary night for Will Farrell, 50-year-old actor released from hospital after Thursday night accident. Three others were injured. Ron Burgundy lives to charm us another day Actor Will Farrell was in a serious car crash Thursday night, so not officially Friday the 13th, in Orange County, California, with a 30-second video recorded by LAOC.tv, and now on TMZ showing a dented-up black SUV with shattered windows after the accident. The Hollywood Reporter and Los Angeles Times report that the SUV flipped after being sideswiped by a Toyota. Do you want to admit that out loud? No. (laughs) So how did that – you want to be like OJ pulled in front of you and skidded to a halt, right? That's what sent you into a flip over in your SUV, not that a Toyota came up (laughs) in front of you. I hope it was like a Tercel or something really humiliating. Uh, that was 11 p.m. on Interstate 5, which, of course, out in California, that'd be 1 a.m. here. So it does fit into the Friday the 13th category. Inside the SUV was Will Farrell, who was the passenger, and three others. The video clip shows the 50-year-old funny man talking on a phone while being loaded into an ambulance on a stretcher. Farrell had been in San Diego earlier that evening to appear at a funny-or-die event, per the Washington Post. No one in Farrell's vehicle appears to have suffered life-threatening injuries, and Farrell himself has already been released from the hospital, his rep tells TMZ. It's not clear if anyone was injured in the Toyota that hit the SUV, although TMZ reported on open beer bottles being spotted on the road at the site of the crash. Cops say neither alcohol nor drugs played any part in the crash, and no arrests have been made, though they're still looking into the accident. And then we've got one other uh, tragedy here on on Friday the 13th. After passengers fall, ship continues with a heavy heart. A 47-year-old woman is missing and presumed lost in a remote part of the South Pacific after an unexplained fall from a cruise ship. That's what operator P&O Cruises says. The Pacific Dawn immediately turned around to search for the woman after she fell from the ship in the Coral Sea almost 200 miles off New Caledonia, but they couldn't spot any trace of her, the BBC reports. After hours of searching in rough seas and high winds, the captain told passengers, with a heavy heart, they had made the extremely difficult decision to continue our journey toward Brisbane reports the Courier-Mail. The woman, who was from Brisbane, is believed to have been traveling on the week-long cruise with her husband and children. Horrendous here on the ship, tweeted passenger Jonathan Teveth. Ship going round and round searching. The Australian Maritime Safety Authority says the search was called off because the time frame of survivability was quite limited due to the weather conditions that included four meter, that's 13 foot swells, 30 knot winds and darkness and because we knew the missing passenger was not wearing a life jacket the australian broadcasting corporation reports police say they do not appear to be any suspicious circumstances at this time but investigators will meet the ship when it arrives in brisbane early sunday some passengers say the woman went outside to be seasick and was knocked overboard by a freak wave though others have given conflicting reports If you're feeling seasick, I think the safest place for you is in your cabin, huddled over the porcelain god. Yep. Right? (laughs) Why would you... I'm going to go lean over the the railing. Nothing good can come from that. Has she never watched one movie in her life? (laughs) Have you ever been on a cruise ship? Yeah, once.
8: Uh, It was interesting. I mean, uh, well, I was uh, there for a fraternity conference, so there was about uh, 2,000, give or take, or... I, I. can't remember but uh we took up a good size of the uh onboard population it was you know you could tell the disappointment by the families and other people (laughs) when we were boarding in miami because it was around the caribbean and it was like oh great we have to share the ship with you know drunk frat guys well as
2: it should be yeah (laughs) how was it was it pretty uneventful for the trip though i mean bad weather anything wrong um nope everything was i think normal i I mean it was my only Time on
8: a cruise ship, everybody was happy once we hit international waters because they could gamble. I remember that being a big thing. I've
2: been on th- three, uh, three or four cruises in my life, and I've never had any issue. We had one night of bad weather, but where I was stationed in the middle of the ship, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like one of those small staterooms in the middle of the ship with no window, I couldn't tell. Uh, but I was talking to the staff. The next day and I was like oh how did it go he goes oh this is nothing if you would have been on the ship last week it was murder I go what do you mean he goes we had such bad weather that we had to line the stairs up and down with vomit bags oh because people were just dropping to their knees and, and hurling throughout the entire uh, like four four days of the cruise because they hit bad weather so and have you ever seen those videos on like youtube where the people are videotaping inside and you see the swells coming up over the side of oh. these cruise ships? No. Oh, my uh. God, Mike, it's horrifying. As I say this, I'm going on a cruise later on this year with my wife. Uh-huh. We're going on the Jericho Rock and Rager Cruise. Okay. Uh, Chris Jericho from the WWE he has got a bunch of wrestling legends and superstars, some rock bands, some comedians, and uh, we're the paranormal contingent. We're going to be going in October. Tim and I will be doing some paranormal talks and such on the ship. But, uh, yeah, we get to go. I, I've never had any kind of issue No, I mean, I think
8: one of the biggest issues, the only issue that I could could think of now is that when I think our last port was in uh, Cozumel and uh, there was some issue of getting all the guys back because there were, you know, it was, we were, all of us went out and found cheap drinks and beers and everything like that. And, you know, for guys who were not 21, it was a big deal because, you know, you could do it. And then it was just a matter of like making sure everybody got back to port to board to go home (laughs) and it was like hey you know we're missing 50 100 guys and it's like come on like we're holding up the whole ship uh
2: so that was the only thing that came up i had one of the ports of call that we stopped into at nighttime they're like we're just going to be here for about four hours go on out and i hung out with this little group and they're like let's go watch there's this local dinner nightclub and they do dances from around the world which sounded about as appealing to me as watching wallpaper paste, right? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'll go with them. I'll tell you what, the show was amazing, but these guys knew their audience. They knew that we were kind of captive from the ship, and they were great. And they these guys were tall, lanky dancers, and the women were beautiful and all gowned up. And they're all standing on stage at the beginning of the show talking to us, and they go um, – how many people are here are are part of the cruise ship? And most of the audience raises their hand, and all at the same time, every one of the the dancers dip to the left, and we all grab our tables. And he goes, "That's how we know who's really been on a cruise ship because you get that little sense of the motion. You don't even realize that it's doing that until you're on that solid ground again. You kind of have that wobbly, yeah, <laughs> sea legs that uh, that are going on. But that was um, that was one of the fun moments for us to go out there. But I've, yeah. I've also been out there. I don't know if you fall. Have you ever? Those are tall ships. Oh yeah, you're you're done. I can't it's believe just... that you could survive a fall, and especially if you don't know how to fall properly. Yeah. If you if you end up belly flopping or falling on your back, and most people are twisting in the wind. I can't I can't guess that there's many people that are going to survive that kind of fall because some of those are like thirty stories tall. Oh yeah.
8: Especially if you add on to you know if it's dark. Or, uh, you know, you are out there by yourself and you fall over. There's mm-hmm. no one to alert anybody. And, and I wonder like, how
2: many people fell over after Titanic, trying to do that little up on the bow of the ship or up against the railing of the ship, the whole <laughs> I'm the king of the world thing. I wonder how many accidents occurred after that that had never happened before on cruise ships.
8: Oh. Well,
2: you, and, uh, I mean, you, like you
8: said, 30 stories is 30 stories. It doesn't matter. Right. I mean, you're done. But also, I mean, you think about the... The titanic i mean if depending on where you are in the world too mm-hmm. if you were to fall in the north atlantic in winter
2: then you're, oh, yeah, yeah. you're yeah hypothermia is going to hit you like i think in less than five minutes right yeah you're, like you're that. pretty yeah. much just yeah. a bobber <laughs> bobber at that point we're going to take a break when we come back we've got more to discuss right here on the tom bernard show
0: Let's dance.
6: I still miss him. I like this song. Mm-hmm.
0: I do too. Yep. We're rocking out, man. That's all I know. Um, this show's been on uh, on uh, the air for six and a half years now. And heck? one of the first guests we ever had on this show at the beginning, the very beginning of the Tom Bernard show, was Dr. Pohl, The incredible Dr. Paul. as a it's matter of true. fact debuts this year on january twelfth, saturday night nat geo wild how are you doing dr Paul?
9: i am fine how are you doing tom
0: marvelously well you were one of our very first guests all those years ago you've been you've been on how many seasons
9: well this is season 14 that is oh, the season uh, the way counts them, we count them a little different because I think they call our season when they fill them in now season 7 so don't ask me okay. how to do, do that I don't do math
0: <laughs> 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 okay I won't ask yeah you were just starting out on the show and this show was just starting out you were on our first guest and now having you back is a great thrill. The show follows Dutch-American veterinarian Dr. Pohl, his family and employees at his practice in rural, is it Weidman, Michigan?
9: No, Weidman. It's pronounced uh, a little bit different, than, but normally it's just Weidman, they call it, and it's a small town right in the middle of Michigan, the lower peninsula.
0: That's a good thing. So things have been going very well. you got, what, 19,000 clients? That's pretty good.
9: Well, no. Actually, if a new client walks through the door now, it's 25000 That doesn't it's mean we tw- have all yeah. these clients yet, because a lot of them have died in 40 years, and a lot of them have moved away, but we still sure. have single-digit clients, too.
0: That is unbelievable. So, yeah, so, that's I don't know a how many thing.
9: clients that are active. A lot of them.
0: A lot, there's no doubt about it. Well, you love your work, and right. I think that's very obvious by watching your show. You love your work, and people, I think, gonna have a lot of faith in a veterinarian who loves their work. It's, just, it's terrific. It's a wonderful show.
9: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the, the whole secret is, I think here, that nothing is actually made up for the camera unless Charles, Diane, and I are fooling around. You know, what you see when we work on animals is real. And that is actually Charles's fault when he started. way in the beginning, he says, "Dad, do your work. That is interesting enough." And that's the way we kept it. So when you see us working with animals, uh, that is real, you know. When we pull a calf out of a cow, that is real. We don't stick it back
0: in for a second take either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Doctor right. Paul.
7: Doctor Paul. Hi, this is Catherine. I yes. talked to you a long time ago. Um, we've well, we used to have horses, and uh, I had a vet that took care of them, and all that kind of stuff. And I just want—I mean, it's pretty demanding work what you do, and then to add a camera crew following you around all the time. How do you stay focused and not get burnt out?
9: Because first of all, I love my work. Second of all the cameras have been there our so long that we completely get used to it. And it's the same people that come back every time. Oh. We still have the same cameraman that started the whole thing. We have the same, yeah. You know, maybe in the second season they started, we have the same producer that started in season two, and they always come back. And this is the difference between our show and different ones where, yeah, we, we treat everybody like family, and this is why they don't, you know, if they have two weeks off, you know, three weeks off, they come back. And that's what makes the show, because they know exactly where to stand. Well, not all the time, but most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how they get the best job.
5: But yeah, I think
0: if it's they ever fight. do
9: behind the scenes, if, you do, if they do behind the scenes, watch it, because you're going to laugh your head off.
0: I would imagine that's true. Uh, Dr. Paul treats horses, pigs, cows, sheep, alpacas, goats, chickens, and even an occasional reindeer. Well, that's pretty cool.
9: Yep. Yeah. Anything. You know, for me, being a veterinarian means that you treat animals, and if you have an animal that needs help, you know, I'm willing to try it. If I don't know, I look in the books. Somebody has done something about that animal before. And, yes, this is how you do it. And if you know what healthy animals looks like and feels like, then you can find out what's wrong with them and treat them accordingly. They're the animals,
0: you know. You know, it's kind of unfortunate, Dr. Pohl. I understand in America, and I think it's, it's getting harder by the minute, but to become a veterinarian in America is very difficult now because so many people want to get into your field, I guess.
9: Yeah, it seems like that. So, yes, there's a lot of applications at the colleges. So if you want to make sure that, you know, you take all the hard courses in high school and do not apply at one school, you know, you just get you know, the, the, the admission um, requirements and apply to many schools. biggest problem is it is so expensive, and many of yeah. these veterinarians coming out of college have, you know, a debt that is way too high.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't really understand how, why, why we did that. We did that to ourselves here in America by allowing, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the student loans to go private. Privatizing student loans was a horrible idea, and uh, it, it was. It, it was. It was absolutely yeah. terrible, and it, it gave it gave all these schools a chance to go. Okay, well then we're going to charge twice as much for tuition,
10: even though That's colleges ridiculous. also are subsidized. So it's like. They're both privatized <laughs> and subsidized. <laughs> you know,
9: for me, for me, a college is a teaching facility. That means the new ones have to get their heads dirty doing work on animals. This is how I was educated. You know, the people that were bringing animals to the veterinary school in the Netherlands where I went to college knew that students were working on them under supervision of one or two veterinarians. So if anything did not go exactly, they could jump in right away. But before I graduated, I had done my own C-section on a cow.
0: Hmm.
3: Really? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. really. I, yeah.
0: uh, Andy, you would, you'd probably be a veterinarian if, he, if it, uh, you could get in, don't no. you think? I well, you wouldn't want to be a vet? No, I couldn't I so. deal with putting
10: animals down. Well, no, I that understand.
9: That
0: is
10: the it. hardest part. Yeah. And, and yeah.
9: I tell you, that, yeah. Is, that is hard every time, and you'll never get used to that. But you have to think about the animal where quantity is not as important as quality of life. And I've said so many times, animals are not afraid to die. For them, it is part of life. And what we do, we actually put the animal under anesthetic first before we give him the final injection.
7: right, that's kind.
9: And that's that's what I do. Mm. One of the dogs is calling you right
3: now. Yeah, that's okay. That's
9: another phone ring. Forget about it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Forget about it. You you do run a busy clinic over
0: there. (laughs) That is a good thing. 19,000 clients and there's 25,000. It's going to ring. Um, yeah, that is a tough part. We've, we had, uh, well, I at the time, I don't know if we had talked yet. I don't think so. Cause I think Cassie was still alive the last time Dr. Paul was on.
3: Yeah, probably. But
0: we lost a dog when he was what? 14, 15 years he old. Was yeah, he, was, he, was years old. he was 18. He was not, 18 years old. little Jack
5: Russell.
10: He was not yeah. alive. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a good life for a dog. He was
9: yeah, not alive. It, it is hard. And, and yeah. like I said, when people come and I have to put that animal down, I almost cry with them because yeah. I know yeah. what it yeah. is. Yeah. Even this morning, I had to put the dog down. It was a diabetic for five years, and he was 16 mm-hmm. years old. But he, his quality of life was gone.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and what right. are you going
9: to do that, you know? Yeah, and like I yeah. Said, uh, how do you what, do it so that they don't feel any pain?
7: Right. What yeah. what what kind of advice do you give to people? Like, I had a friend whose dog had cancer, and they spent, uh, I don't even know, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, giving that dog chemo, and he never felt fabulous. And they, I think, they bought him maybe in a year. I mean, yeah. do, you, See, and that, do you think that, that's right? Me,
9: no, for me not. I, my my son-in-law died of pancreatic cancer when he was 15. and he was two years on chemo. Uh. And honestly, I refuse to put animals on chemo because, there again, it's the quality, not the quantity.
7: Right, I agree. And that
9: is important for me. Well, and when you're on chemo, you don't feel good.
6: No. It, it, is part of it also because an animal can't inherently understand what chemotherapy is? Oh, no, yeah. Them feel they don't terrible. know
10: why you're no, making them feel not. sick. It's a feel bad. Yeah. You know,
6: I compare
9: chemo with trying to shoot a mouse with a shotgun full of birdshot. The <laughs> collateral damage is so big mm-hmm. that yeah. it's terrible
0: yeah yeah i could absolutely see that it's it, well that is i, I could see that that would be the worst part of your job to mm-hmm. to have to put uh yeah. our dog our 18 year old dog our son and our daughter and i went to, to have him put down and i was petting him and all of a sudden i realized as i was petting him he was no longer alive it was really shocking he was right. still looking at me but he was dead yeah,
9: it happens oh yeah fast God, yeah see, that's the thing they don't close their eyes that's that people yeah. don't do it either, the eyelids are glued shut, you know, but that's neither the end of the but like I said, do it painless, and I think that's yep. important.
0: Yep. But Now, the great part of your job, Dr. Pohl, because, I mean, obviously you're doing a great service, to you know, putting people at, uh, at ease any way you possibly can when they have to put a pet down, but also... Yeah. You make people joyous. You bring, you bring animals back to people that were severely damaged. You fix them. They get them back. That's got to be a great feeling.
9: Yes. And, and this is the enjoyment of my job, too, where, you know, yes, we make people happy by giving them back an animal. You know, and, that's, and I want to keep that affordable, too. That's very important for me because I want kids to grow up with animals animals will teach kids but we cannot teach them empathy you know when when a kid crawls over the floor before he's a year old his allergies are reduced by 40 percent that's a that's a medical fact that doesn't come from me so animals are a big part of kids lives too and when a kid becomes abusive to an animal when he's that funny young two or three years old then you can already start working with him hey listen this is not the way to treat him because you see that kids that are abusive to animals turn to humans later on too
0: oh I, I believe that's true yeah that a matter of fact yeah. they say cat cats in particular a lot of people who turn into serial killers they begin by killing cats for some reason yeah that's so weird I think so
9: yeah I know that's a, I don't that's understand a very, them very because you know, no. Yeah, it is.
7: So, Dr. Yeah, Paul, that, another, <laughs> I, uh, another thing. Yes. Okay, so when you went to school in Europe when you came to America. Did you have to get, how did you do that? Did, I mean, sometimes they make you go through the whole medical program again.
9: No, not through the whole medical. Because, yeah, Utrecht University was already accredited by the AVMA. Okay. So when I came here, I, all I had to do was take the national board
0: exams. Oh, okay. I think it's wonderful. Dr. Pohl, ladies and gentlemen, the new season of his hit Nat Geo Wild show, The Incredible Dr. Pohl, debuts in just two days, Saturday on Nat right. Geo Wild. Dr. Pohl, okay, don't wait don't wait seven more years to come back, okay? It's a great show.
7: <laughs> okay, that's fine. You just call me. <laughs> all
0: right, we will call you, Dr. Pohl. Thanks so much for your time. Love having you on, sir.
9: Thank you,
0: Tom and Kathy. Have a good afternoon. Have a good afternoon. Bye. Hey, Kathy, how you doing over there? Oh,
7: he's so
4: cute. What a great guy. Yeah. He's a great, he is
0: a
7: great guy. You know, and oh, it's so funny because I remember distinctly talking to him and because I was like, you know, I was very into horses. I, I mean, I've worked with vets for a long time and he was shy and we had to like coax him into talking a little bit. Yeah, now he he's yeah. now he's oh, just wow. you know now he's been doing it for so long. Well, yeah, that he's I think that fourteen. He's, yeah, well, he's much more relaxed.
10: He said fourteen seasons, well, said but those are like years. Dutch seasons or something like that. So yeah, for half and a half. I think yeah.
7: Nat Geo does their seasons differently. I
0: oh, think. it's a Nat well, Geo thing,
7: right? Yeah, it's Nat Geo. But
0: all those dance shows, those performance shows, they have two seasons in the same year, don't they? I know, two but seasons they take breaks
7: month. and then they call it a different season. <laughs> two I don't
0: seasons know. a month? I don't know. Uh, he's been Ooh, yeah, I
10: know? 2011 to present. So, yeah, time, seven right? years.
0: So, yeah, he started mm-hmm. just before this show started. So He man. did, yep. We had him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like the guy. He's a very, very nice guy. He actually cares about what he's doing. He loves to make people happy. Uh, takes away their pain by, by you know, euthanizing their, their mm-hmm. pets without any pain whatsoever. So he's just a hell of a good guy. That's all I know. He's a really, he really, really loves good animals. man. Dr. Jan Pohl. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? A better banking experience. Member FDIC an equal housing lender. I still love this.
3: <laughs>
7: That's me trying to sing that low. <laughs> so like Eric
0: Burden. It doesn't work. You know what I love about Eric Burden? And I really do love Eric Burden. The animals were my favorite. I, I like the animals more than the Rolling Stones, actually. Really? I okay. did. Yeah, the Beatles and the animals and the Rolling Stones. But uh, I've met Eric Burden now in my life. I've met Eric Burden about 30 times. And every time I see him now, it's brand new. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. Honest to God. Well,
7: can you imagine how many people he's met in his life?
0: What oh, if he met somebody 30 um, times?
7: You well, might and how many drugs did the man do? Who knows?
0: Uh, what was the name of that show again? It was Tudors. Uh, the Tudors? The Tutors? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We were, backstage, we were backstage at the Golden Nugget in Vegas, and Eric Burden was on, on the show. And before we went out on stage... He said, "We he started talking about the Tudors. You know what I loved about the Tudors? It's the sopranos in antiquity."
7: Well, it's true. <laughs> yeah, he's not
11: wrong.
0: It really is. Oh, he's a very smart guy. Eric Burton's a really smart guy. I think he's got a couple of you know buttons off the vest right now. If you know what I'm saying. I think but, he's about
7: three foot six.
0: Yeah, he's not very. tall. He's about five feet tall, maybe five two, something like I think that. You're being generous. He mm, might be true. <laughs>
7: he's very tiny. Well,
0: yeah, you've met him a few yeah, times. He's so.
7: tiny. He
0: is tiny. There's no getting around that. But uh, great singer. I love that group and Chaz Chandler, of course. Who was in the, uh, he was a member of the Animals, discovered uh, Jimi Hendrix.
7: Yeah, he did. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. That.
0: He was the guy who really, brought, really cool. brought him
6: to England and made him a star.
0: Well, that's why when I first saw <laughs> Jimi Hendrix on, I believe, the Dick show, I was shocked that he didn't have a British accent. I thought he was a British act.
11: Real you know awesome. I mean? because, yeah. Well, he, he kind of had I that did. look, too. Like he could. I think. Yeah, I was shocked when They're I found British. out Jimi Hendrix wasn't British either.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so there you go. I didn't like the fact that it, when he was on uh, the Dick Cavett show that he kept... Uh, oh, actually, it was David Bowie that did this. He was on the Dick Cavett show. And the entire time he was on there, he had a cane, and he kept stroking it with his right hand.
11: Yes. i was like, Ugh. oh, baby. <laughs> oh, creepy. Do you remember
0: that?
6: No, Ooh.
1: I didn't see did that. Do you one.
0: remember that?
6: Dick Cavett oh, God, was great. Was like, he was really a great.
0: Well, phenomenal. Ah, uh, The greatest thing ever on the Dick Cavett Show, and ladies and gentlemen, he was, just a, he was a, uh, a talk show host back in the day. Very, very smart guy. Really good guy. But one of the greatest of all time. He's talking to Muhammad Ali after the Ken Norton fight where he broke his jaw. Remember?
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And Dick Cavett says to Muhammad Ali, you know, I, I have to be honest with you, Muhammad. I got to believe that if I had gotten hit with that punch, I'd be knocked out still. And Ali said, let me tell you something. You got hit with that punch, your beneficiaries will still be collecting. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, a great comment. Your beneficiaries. Yeah, I do remember that. That was a great show. You're absolutely right. That's the first time uh Michael Douglas was his direct competition. First time I ever saw Tiger Woods as a I think a three year old. He was on the uh, on the talk show, putting and doing all this stuff. He was I think he was only three years old. I think that's right. That's pretty cool though, isn't it?
7: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, because t- talk shows now, I wouldn't watch one of those things if you paid me to oh, do God it. Those no. th- talk shows now are terrible. What happened?
11: I don't know. It's um, every I once think... in a while, though, I do like to watch Jimmy Fallon. Uh, he's probably the only one I like one Jimmy I, Fallon. I do too. I he's probably the only one that I could watch. I don't really care for the interview stuff, but I like it when he does some of his like little skits or when he does some of his musical stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he's brilliant mm-hmm. at. But when he does interview, it's very. He becomes very fangirly yeah. to me right. on yeah. sitting behind the desk. Everybody says that he just is like, "You're amazing. You're wonderful. Yep. You're fantastic." Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't watch Jimmy Kimmel or any of the Neither other ones. ones. Oh,
0: he's horrendous. It's just way too political. All of it's way too political. Busy, yeah, that's the problem. Busy Phillips just got one.
11: Oh yeah, it's like uh, it's called Busy Tonight. It's on E. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but she's <laughs> like the
7: female the new female talk show host.
0: So Ellen. who's Busy Phillips?
7: Ellen is good. Mm-hmm.
0: Ellen's going to quit, though. Did you hear that? Is she
3: really? Oh,
7: really?
0: Yeah, she, she's talking about giving it. She, she loves to do the game of games, Ellen's game of games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's she's thinking of moving away from the uh, from the talk show. Has anybody... Or maybe she's just doing it...
11: Oh, go ahead, Tom.
0: i was just gonna maybe she was just doing it to get him to jack up the rate.
11: Yeah. Well, has yeah. anybody watched her new Netflix special? I haven't watched it. I, yet. I did no, watch I want Sarah to. And I
6: watched it, and she's she's a great stand-up comedian. She really is got mm-hmm. yeah, she is. Great timing. And, you mm-hmm. know, her jokes are really simple, but it's all in the delivery and the timing. She's really good at. It.
0: Catherine and I were watching one time, and it might have been the Tonight Show or whatever, but she was uh, uh, portraying a woman who goes to a public toilet. Oh, I remember God. she goes, all was... righty then. And she shakes her butt around and around and around like pee so all over the lid. <laughs> well, it's true. It's like, how so do they all even manage righty, it?
7: Then. <laughs> well, I actually think that a lot. I mean, when you flush a public toilet, especially like in an airport, I, I mean, they have like a powerful pl-
0: oh, yeah, flush. Do. And yeah, and, and
7: water does just come shooting up out of that thing. So I don't think it's always people just doing odd things with their pee.
0: Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a nice... <laughs> That's a nice look at it. <laughs> odd things with well, we that should,
7: would be very weird.
0: You know yes. what? We should get a cable show. Odd shows. The odd <laughs> odd things to do with your pee. There probably is one already.
7: Yeah. Well, <laughs> probably, yeah.
6: probably a Japanese it's game a, show. Yep.
7: Yeah, yeah. Or a YouTube channel. Yep.
0: I got to run this by you guys because I'm realizing as time goes by, and I it's so it feels uncomfortable to me because it's how I grew up. But we are watching fewer and fewer programs on what used to be broadcast television. Mm-hmm. I think there are five of them right now that I that I picked out that I watch. They're all cop shows. All five are cop shows. So what does that tell you? But it's like The Rookie, it's FBI, it's Blue Bloods, it's, you know, those kind of shows. But I just, uh, we watch more Netflix and Hulu and, mm-hmm. you know, going down the list, the Amazon Prime, Prime Video, all the rest of it. We watch many more shows on there because they're just better shows. Yeah.
7: They are better shows.
0: So I don't know. i got to go, what is it called? School Days. Brian Callen, my, my pal, just got a new series. Oh, uh, did he? Yeah, it's called School Days. It's based on about the same time the Goldbergs is, I think. And it, I don't know if it ties in with the Goldbergs or not, but he he's on the show. So i got to watch that. It was on last night. Oh. And I didn't get a chance to see it.
11: Yeah, that's Lainey, the character in Goldberg. She ha- got a spinoff. Yeah. It's like, I can't remember how many years later, but she comes back as a teacher to the same school.
0: They're talking 19, somewhere in the 1990s, yeah. they said. That's
11: what's
0: all the, they say what's
6: about What's the it. name of the actor that plays Ray Donovan? I'm having a I'm
11: oh, oh, gosh. Um, He's a jerk, too. Oh. Yeah, He's
0: not a pleasant uh, man. What the hell is his name?
11: Oh God! Leave Schreiber.
6: Leave. He hosted Saturday yeah. night. I've been watching SNL again, and it's been pretty good. But he hosted last mm-hmm. Saturday's. He was
1: terrible. Yeah. yeah he has no
11: personality. He <laughs> can't read.
6: He's not funny. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I, you could take a high school drama kid and put him in there, and he would have been better. <laughs> no.
0: like, oh, why God. do they do that? It makes no sense to me. They put somebody in there that's not qualified to do that job. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, get I don't that. Know. Most people, they care no. about who they are, not what they do. Yes. I asked this question this morning on the morning show, and I want to ask you guys too, and all the listeners to this show, of course. What is it with Stephen King having to repeat <laughs> everything he does about five times because he just doesn't think you're going to be able to get it?
7: I, I just, that's always been his writing God, style. No, he, just what he does. Yeah.
0: Seriously, we we watched yeah. episode seven of uh, Castle, uh, Castle Castle Rock. Rock.
7: We finally got into that.
0: Yeah, we got in, in, in the first six oh, episodes. Did I really liked that episode. Yes, we I did told watch you to watch it. that you, a while ago. Did you watch yeah. the whole thing?
7: No, I haven't watched the whole thing. I've you know, just I don't have time.
0: Episode seven. It's one of those deals where he's dead. He's alive. He's dead. No, he's back alive again. No, he's not. He's dead. Well, you it's were like,
7: falling oh asleep God. during the thing, so I think you were missing the fact that oh. it was it was actually about her memory loss that yeah, right, she was right. fading in yes. and out of reality. Right. Oh, the mom yeah. and yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah
0: Sissy Spacek. I, I haven't seen Who's that terrific, one. by
7: the way? I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, she, it is. A li- they did it for way too long. That was did, the problem yeah. with the episode, is they yeah. just did it for way too long. So.
0: Yeah, we got it. Okay, we got it. She's coming apart at the seams. Okay, let's move on. Good show. <laughs> I, I've liked it till now, but that, that one last night was boring as hell, because they just kept repeating things, which I don't know. I was hoping I had Alzheimer's, so I didn't have to remember that they already did <laughs> don't, that.
7: Don't ever many, hope that. Yeah, don't
0: don't be that such a ever. baby.
7: Um, um, how many would? episodes are there?
0: Ten. Uh, ten? Okay. There are ten episodes. I think yeah, I'm at like so. five no, Dad or, or six. W- Dad was like... You missed your line. Dad was you were like, I'm supposed out. to say you don't remember. <laughs>
6: yeah, I don't remember. I mean, what?
7: Dad was like, I'm not watching the rest of them. This is just... Ho- it was horrible. It was horrible. Oh Typical. There's Stephen King. There's three more. <laughs> you can do it. And then there's another series of his, right? What's that one called? Yeah.
3: What is it? Uh, on mist? at the same time.
7: The mist.
6: Yeah. There's so uh, mist.
10: two series on at the same time. That's yeah, not a he's good idea. Yeah.
6: The Third season of uh, True Detective is Sunday starting. I think it is. Who's on it? I can't remember. I can't up. remember the guy's name. Some black guy. <laughs> <laughs> some.
11: Oh uh, yes, <laughs> well, that's,
6: that's. I some, understand. Some I'm black s- guy.
7: I'm familiar. There's only one.
6: Just hope it's as good as the first season and way uh, better than the second. The second season was horrible,
0: terrible. And I like. I really like Vince Vaughn. So that kind of bothered yeah, me that Vince Vaughn was in a terrible mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, that first season was really really that good. was but, rough. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing today? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, he was God, good. his delivery is so odd. I talked to him yesterday and he said he was doing fine. Did it you sounds go- like that
7: <laughs> dog on that cartoon? <laughs> yeah, cartoon.
0: Did you Google the show or did you just Google some black guy cuz might
6: be quicker <laughs> some to <black> Google.
11: guy. <laughs> oh no. Well, listen,
0: to you saw Yeah, I did. I did some black guy. That was it. Yes.
11: Yeah, it's not giving me the cast though. Huh. Uh, just give me a second. It's all and all right, that's fine. Yeah. It's... Well,
0: until secret. then, we have Mark Lewis on the phone. Oh, Mark's ready to go? Yes. Excellent. That's a good thing. I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, the book's called Give a Damn, the Ticket to Cultural Change. Mark, we need it, and it's all on you, and if you don't deliver, I'm going to be very upset.
5: No pressure. Well, I'm, uh, I like the pressure. I like the accountability. I'm all about uh, trying to change uh, society to make it a better place. And, you know, I wrote the first book and then I've got a follow on book and we actually got a professional editor and I'm very much engaged in trying to change society for a better. And it all, of course it all starts at the top and we're not getting that kind of top leadership that we need. Mm -hmm. I think
0: out of anybody, that's the amazing thing, whether it's the presidency or it's Congress, uh, nobody's doing their job right now. And I don't know what that's all about.
5: Well, it's all about what's in it for me. What can I prove yep, yep. Uh, to others? It becomes such a self-centered, uh, look, I'm better than you instead of working together. And, you know, we need to kind of change our thought patterns in terms of what we could do to help others. And there's a lot of data that shows that the more we do for others, the more we're going to get in return.
0: I love but that. Here's See, that the makes total
5: sense. But the fallacy is, that people say, well, if I'm going to do this for you and you expect something in return, then that's not what proper thinking right. is all about.
9: I agree And that's completely. where Don't society is
5: going. We're, yeah, exactly. Cause you know, law of attraction is just going to happen. The more things you do for people, the more you're going to get returned, the more positive you are, the, the more positive people will be around you. And it's this herd mentality that, that we need to bring together uh, to work for a commonality and that's the reason why I'm starting here in New Orleans. I'm in the process of creating these give a damn communities where we can bring the herd together and have more of a force. It's gonna take a long time because we've gone down this path of self centered thinking and that it's just disrupting society. It's causing more I think more violence because if you don't win you're gonna hurt others because of it. This just yeah. perpetuating itself it's going down a wrong hill.
7: Yeah, I think people are totally stressed out now, and this is part of the reason why.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably well, true, Mark. Well, they're
7: stressed. I, I... Yeah.
0: go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, sir.
5: Well, you know, I think they are stressed out, but what's causing that stress? Um, and, I, you know, a big part of it is, I think, social media. Um, and, you know, what today's the social media brings It's giving the influence to prioritize our self-expression over the welfare of others. And I think that's the problem because we don't relate to people like we used to in the past. You see these TV programs, Reality Tea, which I call unreality, and it becomes where it's single purpose. It's not uh, multiple winners but multiple losers. And empathy versus narcissism, they go in opposite directions. And so we're becoming more a narcissistic society, and how do we get to be more empathetic towards it? And Now, think, when the disaster happens, what happens? The empathy comes out.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's very true. I need to take a very quick break. You can, well, we'll be right back. Uh, you can stay for another segment, I'm hoping, uh, Mark Lewis. Sure. Sounds good. Give a damn. The Ticket to Cultural Change. We'll be right back more with Mark Lewis right after this, Tom Bernard Show. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Start the new year looking great and feel even better by losing 20 to 40 pounds with help from my friends at Ultimate, powered by Nutrimost. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that for a very limited time, you'll receive 20 to 30% off all programs with Ultimate's New Year's resolution sale. Do what I did and let Dan and Neil Sheehy and the staff at Ultimate help you change your relationship with food forever. I love the fact that you can't hear the, uh, yeah, the some, some of the, mut- oh, instruments in nice? the back. That's hilarious. Signal. Odd mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, you know, it's a very calm version of it. Ladies and gentlemen, the book's called "Give a Damn: The Ticket to Cultural Change." Mark Lewis, our special guest. So, what is "Give a Damn" all about, Mark?
5: Um, give a damn is all about changing and help people realize. How our thought processes have an effect on others and what we do that can actually be the benefit uh, to other people. And, and so we've kind of gotten a, away from helping others, although when disasters help and we go out of our way to help others, what can I do to get outside my own internal domain name, domain, and everything that goes around my domain to make life better for others and make life better? and society better than it is today, because when you start getting so self-centered and think, thinking about yourself, it doesn't help people grow. It doesn't help them be happy. And There's a, just a, a number of things that happen that cause us uh, to be really unhappy, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, so... Uh... Giving a damn just means live your life and actually caring about other people and yourself. I would assume giving a damn about yourself is a big part of that, isn't it? Not that you're focused well, on yourself.
5: No, but, you know, I have Steve Gleason. You know, I don't know if you know Steve. He is a uh, football player for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, he blocked the punt sure, when yep. it happened. It was the first game. Steve Gleason wrote the forward and what he does and what he says that he has this internal struggle now he is the consummate individual he is totally uh incapacitated but his mind is still working he said that the best way Mm -hmm. to help yourself is to first serve and help others and that's what he learned from his parents it's an inward focus on family not yourself but to help by helping others you basically help yourself and everybody has this internal struggle because they can't get it You know, he's got ALS, he can't get around anywhere, but he says he Mm -hmm. doesn't use that as a crush to go forward. He uses it as his purpose in life to find meaning that a lot of few people really don't find what their purpose in life is. His purpose is to find a cure for ALS, and I'm happy to support him. And when we sell this book and the things that I do to sell the book, I give 20% of whatever happens in selling the book to his ALS foundation because he is the consummate individual with all the struggles he has. He's out there helping others.
0: Yeah, that is a wonderful thing. That's what it's... And does it take for some people, and maybe most people, something like that uh, to, to be just shocked into reality for a lot of people to realize, you know, this is about serving others, not myself. Do some people just come by it naturally or does it take kind of a shock in your life to understand that?
5: Well, I think with some it comes naturally because we've been learned that habit through how we were brought up and parents provided those values. And in some cases, you have to be shocked. Just like if someone has a heart attack, they haven't been taking care of themselves, now they've been shocked and well, I better start taking care of myself or this may happen again. The process of trying to change a thought pattern is Very, very difficult because we've been grinding these habits in our psyche that it's very difficult to do. So what I do is I have these give a damn bracelets that continually remind myself that hey, I got to continue to do this. Now I've gotten much better at it, but it's a process. So I think there's four areas that people can guide their philosophy. One can be religion. One can be a significant other like your mom, because if you knew your mom was always watching and everything you do, would you act different? Or maybe a mentor, or even the herd mentality, joining a movement, getting everybody together, and that's kind of a goal I'm trying to do so people can continue to hear and learn this philosophy about serving others, Um, because at the end of the day, you're going to be so much happier, so much better at what you're doing.
0: Yeah, see, I, I think it's a great look at life right there. It's kind of what I always hoped. When I was a kid, and he, I, I don't know what age it was, but I'm sure it was, I, I don't know, when, after 13, 14 years old, something like that. I started looking at politicians and going, yeah, these people are elected and they help everybody out. They do this. And about a year later, I looked and went, none of these people help anybody out unless somebody does something for them first. Uh, I, I learned that at problem, a very young age. Right. Yep, it is. Yep.
5: yeah. And, and I, you know, I address, uh, you know, there's several areas that I address in, in the book about what's caused this. And I think politicians, you know, when they make decisions, are they making decisions for the interest, best interest of the people they serve? Or is it based on me getting reelected or how much money I can get so I can get reelected? And there's influencers there that cause them to make decisions that maybe they wouldn't make if those influencers. Like there especially with a special interest group so there's so much distraction there's so much toxin reinforcements out there uh, that cause us to make decisions that we wouldn't normally make if we knew that god was always watching or my mom was watching or messer was watching what decisions would we mm-hmm. make differently that's hard to change it's, it's a very difficult thing to change but i'm going to give it I a go like and that. try doing it
0: Well, I like that. I like it a lot. As a matter of fact, I, um, yeah, I mean, when you break it down, what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen, is when you look at what this whole brouhaha right now going on over the border wall, or we're not going to do the border wall. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. That whole argument is about votes. Because Democrats assume if all those people come over, they're going to vote Democrat, which they will. And Republicans are going to assume they're going to vote Democrat as well. That's why they don't want them coming across. So, look, you don't want to allow criminals and all the rest of your country, but this is all about these people are sitting out of work, and it's the Democrats and the Republicans that have done it. I don't see how they can point the finger at anybody else. You both did it. And it's all about preventing you from getting votes or trying to get votes. That's the whole thing, isn't it? That's
5: part of it, but it's also money. When you think about these yeah, special interest yeah. groups and when they donate money and there was a, the citizens versus U.S., that decision was just so bad because you get these special interest groups give ungodly amounts of money to a campaign. Now, do you think if someone gave me a billion dollars to run, do you think I would be indebted to them? Absolutely. <laughs> but how do we get away <laughs> from maybe. that? You know, I, and yeah, look, yeah. if I were to run for political office, I wouldn't do it. I'd only do it for one term and I'd say, look, you give me all the money you want, but I'm going to make this decision within the best interest of the many. You can't please everybody. You know, it's like a politician. They get elected. They get 50.1% of the vote. The other 49.9 don't like them, but they still get elected and no one complains. But if I make a decision that's good for 90% of the people, the other 10% don't like it and it's a lot of times they can affect the outcome,
9: which is wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely true. I like your, uh, your take on the whole thing. Give a damn the ticket to cultural change. I like your look at it, Mark, and, uh, you know, keep on fighting the good fight. We appreciate people like you because not a lot of people are doing it. They, they, people in America right now have taken sides, and it's really disturbing to watch to me.
5: Yeah, how do we get engaged? How do we create these, uh, these communities where we all can do what's in the best of everybody, knowing that I can't please everybody? But at least I can make society better. Look, everybody needs to buy this book for uh, to give it down to take ticket to cultural change. A, it's going to make you happier. I firmly, firmly believe it. You're going to make other people happier because of what you do, and therefore their life's going to get better. Those are the two primary reasons to buy the book because your mindset will change and you become happier. I got, and I firmly believe it. And there's studies that show that you know when you give. You're going to be happy. If people like when you're more religious, there's a study out there that says the more religious you are, and I'm not proposing people to religion, but you live mm-hmm. longer when you're, religious, when, you're, when you're more religious. If there's a study that says, Iowa State, four years, you increase your life by an average of four years, and they did a study on it. That's something that people grab onto that can help society in general in being what I call a good or better person
0: yeah i think it's true mark keep fighting uh, we would love to have you back on to talk more about this thank you for your time today sir
5: i would love to tell you how i'm progressing you know i need to get somebody that can help me a, a high level person that can help me get to that next level and i'm working with very intellectual people that can hopefully can help um reinforce this uh, philosophy that i'm trying to take across the country
0: i think it's a great idea thank you sir have a good day
5: thank you sir thank you appreciate it
0: Mark Lewis, ladies and gentlemen, books called "Give a Damn: The Ticket to Cultural Change." Yeah, I, I doesn't it upset you that, that this is all about me, 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 and let's not even worry about the taxpayers. This is all about what I need and what I want. Isn't that sad? Yes. Yes. A lot of energy in that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. Trying.
11: Yeah, yeah. You you like out
10: over a. You don't. Don't expect of, people to of, answer area. rhetorical questions. It doesn't. Why well. well, don't you just follow my lead there,
0: Buster? i <laughs> mm. <laughs> just tell you that. <laughs> right What's there. wrong with just Jude? Follow the lead. Uh, he's, there's
7: a paper clip on the floor, and he's decided that it's an enemy of the state, and
0: Uh-oh. he has to get it. <laughs> Perfect. Jude. <laughs> the enemy of the state, yeah. as you know. Yeah. Uh, I just received something from Joe in Louisville, which uh, and th- this kind of stuff is makes my job so much, I don't know, makes me feel so much better about my job and, and what it kind of does for some people. I just got this, as a matter of fact. This is from Craig Bellinger on the uh, KQRS Morning Show Facebook page, the fan page. My mom was a long-time listener. She loved the KQ Morning Show. She passed away this morning. Aww. If Tom could give her a shout-out, I'd appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow morning, today on this show, tomorrow morning on the KQ Morning Show, Craig, it's either Bellinger or Belanger. I've always seen it pronounced Balanger. Belanger. But, uh, yeah, if we Terrible. could find out, uh, and Joe, maybe you could, you could shoot Craig a quick uh, message on the, the Morning Show Facebook page what his mom's name is, and I would love to do that, but thank you so much to Mrs. Belanger. Uh, we'll find out. But his mom passed away this morning, and the first thing he thought of was a shout-out from uh, the KQ Morning Show and this show, and I really, it's very, very touching. and that stuff wonderful?
7: Wow. Well.
0: Yes, in a way. What do you mean in a <laughs> what? What do you mean in a way?
7: Well, I mean it's terrible that his mother passed, but it is. It's nice that. Well.
0: Well, it's just very sweet. Yeah. The whole thing. I know. Joe from Louisville texts me back. I'm on it. So yeah, we'll get it up and we'll get it running. It's it's. Uh, I don't know. I just that that part of it. Dude. It really makes me happy about my job that people actually. It's a it's a part of their day and 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 it's a big part of their day and it makes me happy. Uh, quite an, uh, quite an honor. That's all I have to say. So, yes. Sorry to hear your your mother passed away, Craig. Because that's not the most pleasant day of our lives. I can promise you mm. that. Good no. God, it's the worst when your mother dies. Yeah, Dad. Who gives a rat's ass? But well, Mother. <laughs> not
11: you, you
6: realize you just shot not yourself true. in the
0: foot.
11: Yeah. Yeah. I
0: know I did, but yeah. I did it before my kids did it for me. Mm. So you know. Wow.
11: We wouldn't, we no, wouldn't say uh, that. So,
0: not in, not in public. <laughs> Not in public. I would no, never
11: really. say. It's
6: that. a whole different deal. What was Andy's yeah. famous no, quote? The, if you have a hundred million dollars, what do you need a dad for?
11: Yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that's that. Exactly <laughs> what
6: he said. Oh yeah, my God. that's
0: exact. And we've had a great relationship ever since. There's
6: <laughs> yeah, no question um,
0: about it. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 Don't worry about makes, anybody else's that's feelings.
7: Our, that's we'll
3: just,
0: our boy. <laughs> <we'll> just <laughs> <four> ahead. <laughs> forge ahead with what we have here, but. Uh, yeah, and I, I, Mark Lewis is, is trying to, I, I, look, I love the point he's trying to make. Give a damn. And I think mm-hmm. it's a very good title for his book. Just give a damn about somebody else other than yourself for a minute. Once again, this, this weather guy, Al Roker stuck up for him which I really really uh, appreciate. The guy may have misspoke. If there's a 5% chance he misspoke, why do you want to ruin his yeah, life?
7: Exactly.
6: Yeah, so I'm guessing why? The, I heard I heard the story and I'm guessing the guy's been on TV for years and years. Oh, 20 years yeah. I think, probably. Yeah. One slip up and they broom him for that. That's complete It's BS. ridiculous. Well.
7: Yeah, remember when Polenty said the f-word yeah, instead the of Yeah, gonna
0: drop. Yep. G- and drop yeah, the puck, yeah.
7: Exactly. Yeah. I but mean, I think
0: yeah. that actually helped his career a little bit. <laughs> 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 it might have. Yeah, that's a very good point. It might have, it might have helped his career. But I,
7: I mean, it just it does happen. It happens all the sure. time.
6: Sure. I, what I don't, bloopers are I don't and all that. Pick on even Donald Trump when he says bigly and stuff like that. If you got the cameras on you twenty four seven, you're gonna make yeah. mistakes. It's just
0: yeah. yeah there's no doubt about right. it. Well, do you know anybody that's that's never said anything that's extremely offensive? Because I don't.
5: I never have in my life.
0: No, never. Mm. No, I'm sure. Well, I've never heard you say anything. You or Andy, either one. Your mom, plenty of times. Andy says offensive stuff all the time. Yes, I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I try to never know if 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 I'm joking or not.
7: So does mom. Mom says offensive stuff all the time. I do not. Okay. What do I do? What do I say? Sure. Don't
0: say it. <laughs> Why don't you all just give a damn? That's don't what repeat I have to say. Just anything. all give a damn.
7: Ever that I say.
0: I yeah. suppose that's true. It all works out in the end. But in any case, uh, yeah, good guest today. Dr. Pohl is one. I, oh. I love Dr. Paul. Just a no, great he's guy. He's so a
7: great guy.
0: And Mark Lewis has the right idea and he has uh, some decency in his heart and just give a damn. And we need to. we need to serve all the people, not just the people who voted for you.
7: Or even half. Just half all right. isn't enough.
0: That's going to do it. We'll talk to you on Monday with the family.